Drunk Dish contains adult language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. We'll just go with it. Fingers crossed. Oh, boy. We're just going to go with it. So, hello and welcome to Drunk Dish, <laughs> where three delicious dishes explore food history and get pickled in the process. This is episode 46, where we'll be talking about potatoes, also known as spuds, taters, tubers, and potates. Potates. <laughs> Potatoes. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm Melissa. I'm Kate. And I'm Amy. Yay. Uh, And this is a very (laughs) special week because we don't have a guest. Holy shit. It's just us gals this week. Just the three of Uh, us. We can make it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, It's refreshing. I love it. Yep. So not that we don't love all of our guests. Oh, no, of course. It's just that feeling like when you get home and you can take your bra off. It's like that kind of feeling. Because it's just to be be on our best behaviors. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's probably it. Totally. <laughs> All right. What's now a that bra? That, I mean, <laughs> hey, I wore one yesterday, kind of. Ooh. I mean, I've gotten into the like, it's just fabric, basically. There's not because my my doctor said I had to wear a bra. <laughs> I was having some pain. And she was like, well, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I haven't worn a bra in like eight months, lady. And she was like, you got to you got to wear something that might be causing some strain. And I'm like, I have the smallest tits ever. What do you mean? (laughs) That's one of the benefits. Oh, I'm almost 40. Okay. Oh, fuck. Thanks. (laughs) Anyways, now that we've introduced ourselves and talked about my tits uh, every episode. Kate likes to ask us one food-related question. Kate, what is our question? Okay. Question is, who would win in a fight? Potato, rice, or wheat? I mean, I have a fan favorite. Like, I have a favorite that's just a favorite just because, not necessarily because it's the most versatile or the strongest. Okay. Which is potatoes. That's oh, the right okay. answer. I mean, that's the right answer. Potatoes. <laughs> like okay. if you were to give me, and I love bread. Yeah. And obviously, Same. I mean, you can't make bread without, I mean, I guess you can make gluten-free bread, but. Or you can make potato bread or you can make rice but bread. But potato bread, I feel like still has flour in it. <laughs> I don't think it's just potatoes. It's just, I'm pretty sure it's got wheat in it. It's I don't just know. a I pile really of know. potatoes in a bread loaf. <laughs> I've never, I don't do bread, so you. I don't know. I don't bread. Um, but I mean, we're not saying like, oh, you can't have rice or wheat. I'm just mm. saying potatoes. Literally, I mean, that's all Ireland subsisted off of for a long time. That's mm-hmm. all that will grow there. As we've made many comments about on this show, it is a rock, right? Yeah. Like. <laughs> It's trash. I mean, it's amazing. It's not trash. That I mean, it's uh, uh, the ecosystem isn't very like vibrant or diverse. Right. Yeah. Right. We were. I was thinking as we were like, or I was, I was preparing for this episode that Kate and I often like because a lot of our episodes have to do with like Italian history in some way mm-hmm. or the other, and I think yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the first one that has to do with Irish history. 
I was, I was like, oh, <laughs> Melissa, your people. My people. Yeah. I mean, I am very Irish, but, but so is like <laughs> almost everybody on the on the northeastern coast. Mm, true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I have a fond memory of when we worked together, Melissa, and um we were filing DVDs away and we were looking for a Jeff Dunham DVD. And I forgot for a moment that your last like, like, oh, damn it. I can't say what your last name is. I mean, <laughs> you just said Jeff Dunham. I mean, it's not that. Yeah, my last name is Dunham, which is actually English, not Irish. But continue. <laughs> I've already had too much I wine. remember this one time we were trying to put a CD for, away from a guy. That comedian guy, you know, the one with yes. the puppets. But I went to go. I, you were like, where is it? I can't find it. And I was like, it's under D. It's Dunham spelled. And I started spelling it for you. And you stopped me. And you're like, Amy, I got that's it. my fucking name. I do not remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, it's I've great. got Jeff Dunham and we've got Dunham boots. That's it. It sucks. It's the worst. And it's English. It's not even Irish. I didn't know. But it's my not- grandmother's maiden name was Riley. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Riley's good. Riley is good. And, and her first name's Clara, which is like very traditionally, I feel it like is. Irish. Yeah. Clara Riley. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I agree with Melissa's answer yeah. with potatoes. I mean, potatoes crispy are the only smashed answer. potatoes. I mean, you could live on those oh, forever. Definitely. I yeah. don't miss bread when those are 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 served. Yeah. Like I'm not right. like, where's the bread? Because right. I'm stuffed with crispy potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and I f- I feel like living in the Midwest too, and like seeing all of the potato based dishes <laughs> and all of the different things that they do with tater tots out there, it gave me a new appreciation for potatoes too. Uh, <laughs> I was never a big potato person before potato living pillows. in Minnesota, but de- it's definitely potatoes. Kate, what's your answer? So m- my answer is probably wheat for the pasta factor mm, the pasta factor yeah the pot that's like the that's like the 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 other end of the spectrum right mm. but my the other part of this question i was going to ask and maybe we'll maybe we'll answer this is i wonder if this is a purely cultural answer because i would guess if we were in different parts of the country uh, in the parts of the world that rice would be so much oh yeah higher up the spectrum and it's just because we don't use rice in all of the ways that a lot of other places yeah. do i mean look i love all carbs oh right yeah you know, all carbs yeah. like all carbs matter the real answer is they would a lot never of fight they would be best friends and <laughs> they would well just... but you don't want a meal that is just bread rice and potato don't you, you i mean i i do really love a potato curry which is then served over rice, but I I found and recently, then eaten with non bread. So yeah, I guess you would. I would have a meal that is wheat. Rice <laughs> you can also too take like wheat flour and uh, mix it with water and actually wash the gluten out of it until it becomes a protein rich starch and it's like a chicken Satan. substitute. Yes, I, I didn't know Satan. that. I just learned that. So um, there's there's things you can do with wheat too that I I had never known. Yeah, Before. I would argue. I know this was Kate's other question that she didn't ask, which is which is most versatile. I would mm-hmm. argue that wheat is probably more versatile than potatoes. Mm-hmm. So my my statement, my question on that is kind of would be the other way around because potato 
or rice both stand as a ingredient and as a food like on their own as opposed to wheat which is really needs to be made you don't see anybody like a wheat stock i I guess but like you don't just eat raw rice like do people eat white rice raw like but like not cooked yeah, I but mean, white like rice or white potato, like just but those, plain but rice. those are also processed. Like they are, they're husked and like sure, sure, sure. But like a husked husked wheat is flour, right? Like processed yeah. wheat is flour. Nobody's eating um a spoonful of flour. You have not seen my son in a while. <laughs> <laughs> he a hundred percent. I mean, I that. guess I just think that. <laughs> like okay but that's one thing that you can do okay you can throw potato in water and then just eat it i guess you could but you wouldn't Mm -hmm. but so like they all need some amount of processing yeah and that's that's like it depends potatoes need less processing than rice yes a potato you just need to cook you don't you don't need i mean you don't don't need need to to, but uh, it's disgusting Mm. and very difficult to eat if you don't cook it yeah yeah <laughs> at least somewhat so like right. potato you could not even peel it or anything you just cook it whereas rice has to be processed to be either brown rice or white rice it goes through a process and then you have to cook it to eat it and then mm. we yeah you have to actually turn into flour and then the flour has to be turned into something else. but like she said like seitan it's just water it's just washing the flour basically and then you it's get weird. seitan um, although no one's eating plain seitan either. Yeah, they're mixing it and with it is not, and spices. It, it mimics the texture of chicken. It does not mimic the taste of chicken. Right. Yes. Yeah. You got to you gotta season that just like you should season your chicken. Don't yeah. cook your chicken like a white person. Says Amy, <laughs> who showed up to my house with a bag of unseasoned cooked white I have chicken. grown a lot <laughs> since then, That's Melissa. a callback from like the first episode. We talked about that. <laughs> Your first time having tacos. Yeah. I was like, what do we do? Oh, this is like chips. We have chicken. No. Oh, I brought a bag of <laughs> yeah. unseasoned. Oh but last time I had tacos which, with you, which feels like forever ago. I don't even so remember that. Ago. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, oh Greg God. made delicious they were like, amazing. seasoned chicken stuff and there was like all these toppings and i just went to town so it was like chicken and beef he yeah just, i do not remember that at all oh it was i delicious. fantasize about that night because me too. i think it was the last time we were all together maybe if yeah like that's, it was. I, yeah i mean it feels was like over it was a year too. ago so like i don't yeah i don't know i don't <sighs> even remember what the last episode we recorded in person was man what a fucking year. Remember. Anyway, really, we really. <laughs> I have now reached the really level of the, the pandemic. Down. <laughs> yeah, where I'm getting time hops on Facebook of like mm-hmm. the first shit I posted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, during quarantine. Greg is, is getting, um because he, because I was still going to the gym because I had like just the month before paid for a gym membership and started working with a personal trainer mm. and things were just starting to get bad. Nothing had shut down yet. And Greg's like, you need to stop going to the gym. And I was mm-hmm. like. No. So he, his, his, he doesn't have time hop, but like 
basically the same thing, Google Photos or whatever, mm-hmm. these screenshots just coming up from articles that he would screenshot specific paragraphs and just send them to me to be like, oh, the gym's God. the worst place to go. Like, <laughs> you need to stop going. Oh, fond <laughs> memories. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember going to the gym and just like literally soaking my hands in disinfectant. And then like anything I touched, I would like coat the entire thing like ropes <laughs> rubber metal whatever and disinfect it and my trainer's like and i'm like dude the stuff's getting bad let yeah. me tell you yeah yeah look yeah, at yeah. all these articles that my husband sent me so that i wouldn't go to the gym while i'm out the gym <laughs> <laughs> oh boy mm-hmm. well that brought the mood down it really did yeah potatoes are great speaking of of mood boosters <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> um, go for it, Amy. <laughs> what are we drinking? Please? Oh shit! You took over. You took over, Kate. I'm sorry, it's fine. Well, Kate, That's perfect. Swinging the door open like an asshole, kitten. Okay. You're Here ruining the recording. I know. God. <laughs> It's no, fine. So tonight, I've already it. been sipping on it because this is a drink that I've had many times before. Many a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although now it's like not super ice cold. So you're really getting a lot of flavors that you wouldn't normally get. Um, so I am <laughs> drinking a vodka martini mm. stirred. Um, I did have a whole bit about the difference between stirred and uh, shaken and why people care. And that all got cut out. So uh, um, we are going to be launching like a new kind of mini episode sort of thing. And in that one, I will most likely talk about it. Or when we move on to a gin martini, I will talk about that Um, then as well, which I'll go into a little bit more about why gin versus vodka, whatever. Anyways, it's a vodka martini. Um, So the traditional uh, recipe that I found was two and a half ounces of vodka and a half ounce of dry vermouth. Um, I do two ounces of vodka and a full ounce of dry vermouth. That's just the variation that I like. Um, And then often people could garnish it with with green olives or um, a strip of lemon zest that you can kind of express the oils over the top of the martini. That's my favorite way. I love a martini with a lemon twist. That's my jam. Uh, Cause I hate olives. Mm. Last time I had a martini, uh, Kate had found these olives that I tried at her house. We had kind of a little get together for me finishing school. And again, they're in our bubble. Yep. Um, so we were able to get together and she had these olives that I tried because I try olives like, I don't know, a couple times a year to see if I'll like them or not. Um, Cause I want to like them. And I was like, okay, these aren't terrible. Like I can swallow them in the past if i try an olive i just spit it out so she gave me the jar of olives which i didn't know until i got home and was going through all the goodies that she packed for us when we left so then another night i decided to make one and i put two olives in it no no (laughs) (laughs) and i gotta tell you those were the mildest olives too like no super mild something alcohol does something to the uh, either Either that or something was uh, my mouth was like my taste buds were deadened when I was at your house or or alcohol does something because they were still the most mild I'd ever had. But yeah. they were not like I had two of them and I did eat them. But I was actually on like a work call. We do like this kind of drink and sink 
sort of thing, uh, like once a week. So I was on that. And every time I ate an olive, they were like, oh, that olive's good, huh? Because I would just make this like terrible, (laughs) (laughs) terrible face because I just think they're so disgusting. Uh, So that's a tangent we didn't need to go on. But in any case, I prefer a, a lemon twist. The traditional thing is, you know, one or two green olives in there, which do make the martini taste better, I think. Kind of the little bit of salt that comes off of the olives and is in the actual cocktail is actually really good. But the olives themselves are disgusting. Could you make a martini with a little bit of pickle brine? I have done that. that. It's called a pickle teeny. And did you delicious. tweet about that or tell me that? I think just, I texted you guys. Okay. Cause it just popped in my head. Like this yeah. is something Melissa would do. And yeah. Then... And it was good. Except it just made me want to eat pickles. Mm. Like it was like, my mouth was like, okay, you're getting pickle flavor, but you're not like chewing on anything. Mm-hmm. So uh, my boss is the one that actually has pickle teenies often. And I was like, oh, I got to try that. She has those little tiny like cornichons. Mm-hmm. No, is that the little pickles, right? That's not the little corn. What's the little corn? Baby corn? Is it just baby corn? I thought there was a fancy name like Cornichon. But anyways. um, There's there's Cornichon and then there's Gherkins. Right. She uses Cornichon. Those are tiny. So she has a little thing to munch on while she's (laughs) drinking her pickle teeny, which I think I think would have been good. Anyways. (laughs) So uh, super easy drink if you're doing the stirred version, which is how I make it. You just pour the vodka and vermouth into a mixing glass or a cocktail shaker. Preferably you want this to be chilled. One of the main things with making any sort of martini is you want everything to be super, super cold. You want the uh, vodka or gin to be cold. You want the vermouth to be cold. You want the glass to be cold and you want whatever you're mixing it in to be cold. So me, I actually just put my martini glass and my uh, mixing glass. If I know I'm going to be making a martini in the freezer um, for Mm. a bit before I make it so that when I take everything out, it's all frosty and it helps things chill really quickly. Um, So you fill the mixing glass or cocktail shaker with ice, stir vigorously for about 20 seconds until it's well chilled, and then um, strain into your chilled glass garnish with an olive uh, or lemon peel and serve. Um, And it's a super classy, simple drink. And like I said, mine's gotten kind of warm now, so I'm like really tasting the other flavors that are in the vodka. Oh, which is... (laughs) intense it's good but it's intense super happy that the liquor store stopped carrying this brand of vodka that i actually really like Mm -hmm. um so when it's like super cold it kind of tampens the the harsher flavors of alcohol so any drink that um is served straight up so meaning not on ice you want it to be super super chilled before it goes into the glass and you also want the glass to be chilled same thing with like a manhattan um except as we talked about i think last episode um, I drink a Manhattan on the rocks, but that's not traditional. You're supposed to strain it into like a coupe or what have you. Mm. And you would want all of that to be super chilled. Cool. So a traditional martini is made with gin. Um, and many purists actually think that a vodka martini isn't even a martini. Um, which, I wow. mean, the martinis, the vodka martini has been around for long enough now um that it's kind of like okay get over yourself like it's it's a martini it's just a vodka martini versus a gin martini but for that reason to specify like when you're sorry no am i yelling oh no okay um yelling (laughs) you just your face um (laughs) that's just my face if you're (laughs) uh, if you're going to 
order a martini in a restaurant or a bar. I don't know if you guys know what those things are, but um, (laughs) if you're going to order one, do you have to specify? I mean, generally they'll say, because like, I think most places on the menu, you're not really going to see just a straight martini on the menu because they know that people can just order that. And when you order it, yes, you would say, I want a gin martini or I want a vodka martini. And then the stuff that's going to be on the menu is probably like variations on that, that kind of add stuff or like a dirty martini, which is adding olive brine or like we talked about pickle martini, pickle martini. Um, there's a lot of variations, but yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't often see on a menu just martini. Martini. Okay. Yeah. Um, because hmm. it's such a classic, I feel like anybody knows that they can just order it unless that particular bar does something very specific um, to make it kind of their own, then it'll be on the menu. Okay. Hmm. Um, but because of that kind of distinction, we're not really going to talk about the martini because the gin martini is the one that really has most of the history. Um, And the vodka martini is a relatively new invention. Um, And then obviously a lot of people know about martinis because of James Bond. um, Mm -hmm. Because in the whole shake and not stirred thing. But what he drinks is actually a Vesper, which has gin and vodka in it. Which And oftentimes Lule Blanc, which will knock you on your goddamn ass. (laughs) Wasn't Vesper the name of his first love? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. but so we're going to talk a bit mm. about vodka. Um, as the ladies already know, there was a lot for vodka. <laughs> so I had to drastically cut this down and really only talk about very briefly about the origins and then mostly talk about the United States. Um, and part of the reason why there's so much history is because, of course, the origins of vodka are super unclear. And both Russia and Poland actually com- uh, claim that they created it. There's like kind oh. of this feud going on. Um, where they're like, no, I didn't. And it's like, no, I did. And it's just mm-hmm. like, who cares? Um, although after doing my research, I am going to throw it out there that I think it was Poland, mm. um, which is like sacrilegious because when people think of vodka, I mean, you think of Russia. Yeah. Oh, see, um, it, oh, I have a, I have a Polish um, sister-in-law and uh, when I think of vodka, I think of her straight up. Like she is, <laughs> she's a good drinker. Um, yeah. <laughs> But like in a good way, like she know she she like uh, for their wedding, there was just there were like vodka shots on the table at nice. all time, just like just straight. Wow, I drank a lot of vodka that night. Holy <laughs> shit! Um, yeah, yeah. So when I think of vodka, I definitely think yeah. Of- Poland that's yeah that's interesting because like Mm -hmm. I I definitely immediately think of Russia and it is kind of ubiquitous in Russia I mean Mm -hmm. again I had a lot of research it's the it's the highest selling spirit in Russia Um, it's really 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 embedded into their culture so it makes sense that a lot of people would think that and like I know that Poland is also big with vodka and I do have a little bit about that but I think I always just in my head, I just always go to Russia. Amy, do you have like a Russia? Definitely, yeah. But the, I mean, yeah. I, but if I'm you sure know I did. Someone who's yeah. Polish, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure I did think of that. Like, yeah, you just always sort of connect the two. But 
after that. <laughs> after and there that is a reason for that. I got to give I, it to I got to give it to Poland, <laughs> which I will talk about why in the United States, I think we we really tie it to Russia specifically. OK. Um, and now one of the things that I, I was trying to kind of figure out is so the reason I picked vodka, right, is because there's this idea that vodka is made from potatoes. Uh, and that is not true. <sighs> What? Um, yeah. What? So I could not now, to be fair, look, I did not do like PhD level, you know, research on this, but I you, could you not, did not spend six years of your life yeah, researching. I could not find a concrete reason why we associate vodka with potatoes. I, I, potatoes have been used to make vodka because vodka can pretty much be made with anything. Mm-hmm. Um and potatoes at a time were a substitute for things like wheat and grains because they're super cheap um, yeah. and they were like easy to produce. But today it's like 1% of vodkas are actually made from potatoes. No I, kidding. That's yeah. weird. I wonder, huh. and obviously I'm sure you will illuminate some of this, but maybe, but, um, but I know when I talk about the history of potatoes, there is a connection between Marxism and potatoes. Mm. So I wonder if, if like, I, because there's a conne- connection between potatoes in Russia, and then we have this right. other idea of like like um, vodka being Russian too. That like mm-hmm. people just assumed that those two things were connected. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not sure, but I can I can tell you right now that the vodka that I'm drinking this martini was not made from potatoes, and I grew up oh. thinking that all vodka was potatoes. Like I, up yeah. until a couple years ago, I think I was like, oh, it's potatoes, and then I realized that a bunch of vodka wasn't made from potatoes. I didn't realize that it was such a small amount that was actually made Wow, with potatoes. So yeah. So traditionally it's made by distilling the liquid um, from cereal grains that have been fermented. Um, And like I said, with potatoes arising as a substitute in more recent times. um, But some modern brands also use fruits, honey, or maple sap Mm. as the base. And then it is filtered through carbon, which is how you get that kind of uniquely super clear clean spirit um a lot of bartenders and like mixologists don't really like vodka because well okay so there's two camps there's people that don't really like vodka because it doesn't really lend anything to the party like it's pretty neutral although like i said with this vodka warming up i can really get a lot of different kind of flavors and nuances from it which is really interesting But when it's cold, it becomes kind of like a really great canvas, which this is kind of the other camp, a Mm -hmm. really great canvas for piling other flavors on top of. So like really popular mixed drinks, because you can be really specific about what you're putting in it and the flavors you're getting from that, because vodka isn't going to completely overpower it like something like gin might. Yeah. Um, Which is why a lot of people don't like gin, because it has such a strong flavor. Right, 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 right. Um, So the name vodka actually comes from uh, the Slavic word voda, which means water. um, And it's interpreted as little water. um, (laughs) That I think about when I drink vodka, but whatever. Um, So like I said, the origins are unclear. Both Russia and Poland are like, we did it. Um, Vodka may have been invented as early as the 900s. Originally made in home stills, it is believed to have first been concocted as a disinfectant and a treatment for wounds, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, A type of distilled liquor designated by the Russian word vodka came to Russia in the late 14th century. But 
that's the late 14th century. So we're looking at the 1300s. But the world's first written mention of the drink and the word vodka was in 1405. Oh, God. From Acta Grudsky, a recorder of deeds and the court documents from the Palatinente of Sandomiras in Poland. I'm sure that's all very wrong and I'm very that sorry. That sounds right. The name sounds just like um, uh, it should be the new player for the Patriots. Right, um, but that doesn't make sense for <laughs> Poland. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're thinking of as like Dominican. Uh, no, yeah. like Gronkowski. Yeah, like that. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Instead of the Gronk, it's the Grods. Yeah. So um, some Polish. So these are the older brands. So some Polish vodka blends go back centuries. Most notable are Zabrowska, which I've actually had. I don't know if you guys remember that. My cousin was overseas and it's actually illegal in the United oh, States. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's made from buffalo grass, which has trace elements of arsenic in it. So it's not sellable in the United States. He bought it abroad, brought it home, tried it, hated it mm. and was like, hey, do you want this? And I loved it. I drank the whole bottle. Mm-hmm. pretty quickly but it does have a very distinct floral flavor which is not unlike gin and mm-hmm. i'm just now making that connection mm-hmm. um so <laughs> zabrovka is really good that's often um mixed with like apple juice um or champagne so zabrovka um like i said is from the 16th century we also have Goldwasser from the early 17th century and aged starka vodka from the 16th century as well Meanwhile, in Russia, around 1430, a monk named Isidore from Chudov Monastery, of course, a monk, uh, inside the Moscow <laughs> Always Kremlin. Always a monk. Yeah. Inside the Moscow Kremlin made a recipe of the first Russian vodka. Having a special knowledge in distillation devices, he became the gre- creator of a new, higher quality type of alcoholic beverage. Mm. So I kind of think in this, I mean, this is a completely uneducated opinion, but I kind of feel like Poland invented it and then Russia kind of like innovated on it. Mm-hmm. And that like, makes sense. I, w- I don't want to say perfected it because that makes it sound like Polish vodka isn't good, which of course is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they kind of made more of the scientific advancements in that distilling process. Um, but Poland kind of came up with the actual spirit itself. But who knows? I mean, for something that goes back to like the 900s, how are we supposed to know for sure? Right. Yeah. Um, so now we move to how vodka came to the United States. So Smirnoff vodka was actually known locally as Smirnov. So with a N-O-V at the end in Russia. And it was among the uppermost of top shelf brands. And it was the preferred drink um, of the court of Tsar Alexander III. Ooh, um, fancy. But during the Russian Revolution, all of these, you know, big rich families were killed, essentially. And the only member of the Smirnov family to escape Moscow was Vladimir Smirnov. In France, he struggled to sell vodka um, because France was very like wine and cognac. They weren't like into the lighter spirits. Um, So he was like, shit, I don't have any money. I got ran ran out of my home country. I don't know what I'm going to do. In 1925, um, the um, Vladimir met Rudolf P. Cunnett. Uh, and he was a young distiller who fled the revolution to America. So fifty, so for 54,000 francs, which is around $50,000 in today's money, he sold Cunnett the exclusive rights to make and sell Smirnoff vodka in the United States and Canada. 
So this is 1925. So at the time, couldn't like assumed wrongly that prohibition wouldn't last that long. <laughs> so like he bought the rights in 25 and thought, I'm going to go to America. This prohibition thing will be cleared up in no time. Uh, and I'll be able to make a ton of money. Uh, and then prohibition went on for another nine years. Um, so he literally couldn't do anything with this information that he had purchased. Um, finally, in March of 1934, after, you know, the ban and prohibition and everything had been lifted. Connett opened the country's first domestic vodka distillery in Bethel, Connecticut. What? So, yeah, the nice. birthplace of vodka in the United States is in Connecticut, which is not that oh, wow. far away from us. Um, now, until the 40s, vodka was super unpopular in the United States. Um, Americans still really preferred gin um, over vodka and then also kind of liked the darker spirits. So like whiskey and mm -hmm. stuff like that, things that they really drank during prohibition. Um, and now they were obviously getting the real versions instead of the bathtub version. So they were kind of sticking to what they knew. So vodka wasn't popular at all. Um, and in the first year, kind of only sold 1200 cases. Uh, and most of that went to Russian and Polish immigrants. <laughs> um, this caused Cunnett to go bankrupt by 1938. Hmm. So Cunnett attempted to sell the business for $50,000, you know, recoup his investment basically to a food and drinks distributor, G.F. Hoogline and Brothers. Um, this was an American producer and distributor of alcoholic beverages and food. Specifically, they're most well known for being the makers of A1 steak sauce. Um, that's essentially what got them through prohibition because they mostly dealt with alcohol. And then obviously their business completely dried up and they started making a one steak sauce. And apparently that was enough to keep them afloat. Which I mean, that shit's amazing. So I wonder if they used steak sauce to smuggle alcohol during prohibition. That would be an amazing story. <laughs> that's just like in my head, what popped in. Yeah. It's no, like, like it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they wouldn't have done it. Yes. <laughs> Um, so they didn't actually have $50,000 because again, they barely survived prohibition, but they did have $14,000, mm. but that's around $250,000 in today's money. Um, so what they did was they basically gave Conant $14,000 to buy his equipment and also buy the rights and give him a job and offer him and his stockholders 5% of royalties on every Smirnoff bottle sold for the next decade. Wow. Which kind of fully expected to be zero, but he still took the deal because he was bankrupt and was like, was better than nothing. nothing. Right. Yeah. Well, that was in stereo. That was nice. <laughs> uh, so like I said, by the 1940s, Americans still liked to drink like brown spirits straight. Um, but then white ones like gin, they primarily thought of um, to be mixed within cocktails. And it's around this time that cocktails started to become really popular. Um, so vodka actually was like a super useful inclusion into the, you know, the spirits that they could mix into all of these various concoctions. Um, it also started to pick up some steam in Hollywood. Uh, mostly because a lot of studios wanted to maintain this like squeaky clean image. So they had built into their contracts that their stars couldn't drink. Uh, and we all know their stars didn't just not drink. No. Right. No, um, they no. discovered vodka, which um, doesn't looks leave, like water, looks like water <laughs> and doesn't leave much of a smell on the breath. Um, so a lot of Hollywood bigwigs started to use, like drink vodka basically all the time. Um, 
So uh, this helped basically glamorize it and make it like super popular in the United States. And at a party thrown by Joan Crawford in 1947, only vodka and champagne was served, um, which like, I mean, I don't know how you get better than that. And the only game in town was really Smirnoff. So they continued to dominate the market, making 99.5% of domestic production up until the 1970s. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So by the 1970s, vodka was completely entrenched in Americans' drinking habits. Um, it was selling 80, over 80 million gallons in 1975. Um, and over the following decades, its popularity would rise. Um, part of this is thanks to a famous absolute advertising campaign designed by Andy Warhol, um, which I actually had a hard time finding. I did find some pictures. Um, let me actually pull this up because I did actually add a bunch of stuff to the drive for this episode. Nice. Um, so this is the only real like picture I could find of his painting that he made. This is just of the painting. This isn't of the actual campaign. Mm. I couldn't find any images of the actual campaign, but this is the actual art that he created. If you were going to buy a print, it yeah. would be this. Yeah. Um, which honestly, I don't get. But anyways, <laughs> um, so like this absolute advertising campaign pushed vodka even even higher up. Um, and then it kind of started to slow down again as craft cocktails became more popular and then shot up again once club kids <laughs> started swigging vodka and Red Bulls, um, which <laughs> helped it become the highest selling spirit in the United States to this day. Wow. Um, which you is kind of hilarious kids. to me that, yeah, I fucking club kids. <laughs> um, so I do have some pictures here. Obviously, these will be on the blog. Oh, this is really tiny. This is a Russian home distillery for vodka. Oh, cool. You can tell because the hat. Yeah, this is just like a just a bottle of vodka. I don't know. Whatever. Um, this we don't talk about because I deleted half my research. Oh, no. okay. um, <laughs> and then these are just some fun ads from the 60s. Oh, cool. Um, like one of the things about Absolute specifically is their marketing campaigns have always been so clever and really clean and well done and um, <laughs> iconic, I guess, is, would like without being over the top. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, my go to for like a generic inexpensive but still good vodkas is 100% absolute yeah but I really love there's a lot of these vintage 60s ads for Smirnoff that I really really love and they're all about like basically these idiot men like just being fawned over by gorgeous women (laughs) of course there's one at the Playboy Mansion why does this guy look like he's having a picnic with a bunch of Mormons I mean I don't know Maybe they're into that. It's like a really high collar dress. Oh, here's the one. This is uh, oh, the Smirnoff yes, brunch worth dropping by for. This was shot at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> that looks fucking amazing. It does. Why do the these helicopter propellers? They're like little rocketeers. Yes, little helicopter jetpacks. I'm here for it. We've got a bunch of Russian vodka. They you can even get them in these like little cups. You know, helpful, you know, travel size. Love it. (laughs) But that's pretty much it. Um, So like I said, it's the highest selling spirit in the United States. I do have some like little just for fun facts. Um, So to this day, there are probably more euphemisms for vodka than anything other than the male sex organ. 
Um, so they range from hot water, the monopoca, the bubble, crankshaft, the bitter stuff, the white stuff, half liter, and quarter bottle, also known as a daughter. <laughs> I've never I don't heard know. of any yeah. of those. Uh, According to some studies, a typical Russian man drinks 180 bottles of vodka a year or one every two days. In Russia, vodka is very cheap, about $1 for a half liter and and greatly cherished. It's cheaper than water. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One One Moscow liquor store owner said, in our country, vodka is a purchase of the highest importance. Russian Russians will never skimp on vodka. They'll just eat less. I mean, that's solid that's life choices. Hard or, yeah. <laughs> Peter Barker wrote in the Washington Post, many Russians ascribe medicinal, almost supernatural qualities to vodka. Parents soak cotton balls in vodka and dab them on children to bring down a fever or ears, ease an earache. Vodka, my mom did that. <laughs> uh, well, I've heard of, um, and my mom did this too, the alcohol on the gums thing when a baby's teething. Yeah. For sure. I've never heard of the to ease like a fever. Yeah. Um, vodka with pepper is prescribed for an adult cold. Vodka with salt is for an upset stomach. Some nuclear scientists even drank it to protect themselves from radiation poisoning. I wonder how that worked out. <laughs> and then at my last one, at Polish weddings, there's a Gorska vodka tradition, meaning bitter vodka. Before serving the first meal and later during the reception. This is kind of like what you were talking about. Yeah. The new newlyweds may be asked to sweeten the vodka. In order to do this, they must kiss while their guests chant the song Bitter Vodka. Um, and the thing I was reading when I did take this note did specifically say that at Polish weddings, they also have shots of vodka just. Oh, my God. Available. Yeah. Everywhere. Like, just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. We got I, some yeah. more Polish friends. <laughs> Invited have, to Polish uh, weddings. One of my coworkers is Polish, um, but she doesn't drink. So, mm. I mean, she drinks like a little bit, but you give mm. her one crayon of vodka and she's gone. <laughs> I mean, she's got three kids. <laughs> so she didn't drink for a really long time. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's all I got. Very cool. Very nice. Vodka. Yay. Vodka. It's you blew great. my mind. Uh, I learned so much. Thank you. It's only been 40 minutes. <laughs> And that's cut down. I'm glad I cut yeah. it down. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get some fun mini episodes too. Yes. So I'm excited yeah. for that. So I am talking about potatoes and politics. Potatoes. <laughs> potatoes. Oil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Yep. Yes. Um, and apparently only rarely use them for vodka. So one percent of the time. One percent of the time. Weird. So weird. So um, the first domesticated potatoes, uh, food historians believe were domesticated in Peru and Bolivia. But like potatoes are actually really hard to date and find evidence of on archaeological sites um, because they like they last as a food staple for a really long time. But they don't like stand up like they don't like other food like grains and seeds and beans and things like that. Normally, they'll like almost like fossilize and there'll be something to see but there's not like any like like fossilized potatoes biodegrades basically back right they don't have a husk like they don't have that outside right okay 
Yeah. So they just kind of like turn back into soil. Mm -hmm. So um, archaeologists and historians have a really difficult time uh, finding them. So it's difficult to date the exact time, but we think it's about 5,000 to 8,000 BCE. Um, They were most often or most likely prepared in a variety of ways in uh, South and Central America. So mashed, baked, boiled, and brood. Um, so similar to today's uses. Um, and there are two like main potato based dishes that um, people in Peru would prepare using potatoes. Um, so one was the almidon de papa. And essentially they would boil the potato, then peel it, then chop it, then ferment it, then ground it to a pulp, then smash it, and then filter it through a starch. <laughs> So it's like what? a very involved process. That's a lot. Wait, what are you eating at the end? Yeah, what's you the gonna, point? You're going to tell us, right? It was like, it was just like a mush. Like it wasn't like, it. Uh, yeah. Like that was porridge it. almost? Yeah. Like, like, like a potato a, porridge? That seems yes. like a lot of work when you could just make mashed potatoes. But they fermented it too. Oh, that's true. So that's got like good bacteria. And- yeah. So, mm. and then the other, the other main potato dish was called chuno. And this also very involved. They would freeze the potatoes overnight and then they'd let them thaw during the day. And then they'd freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw multiple nights and then once they're frozen and thawed so many times the farmers would be able to extract water from the potatoes and then once they were like dehydrated they would then add them to a stew most likely what? So, or used as an like ingredient for other concentrate things. Oh, i feel like that would wash out a lot of the starch Yes. And the, like doing this made it so that they would like before you would add it to the stew, like when they're essentially like a dried good, they'd have a really long shelf life, like years, years that these would last. So if you're living in um, an agricultural society where you go through like really healthy growth cycles, but then maybe you have um, a famine or you have drought or you have something that prevents you from being able to grow as much food as you normally grow and produce as much food as you need to to survive, these would last you over like the drought years or the difficult years wow yeah so it was like these both of these methods of preparing them are really involved but it's because they would then like have a much longer shelf life right so they would last more than one season and when the spaniards came to uh mesoamerica they saw the indigenous people eating these and they're like what the fuck is that i've never seen that before and they originally like turned their noses up at them. They're like, no, that's not for us. That's just for, um, you know, you people. We're fine. We're good. We got our European food. We released a bunch of, I'm going to mention this every episode. We released a bunch of wild pigs. We'll just <laughs> catch be, those later. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the fucking wild pigs. <laughs> <laughs> the Spaniards fucked up. Are, oh my god, like, they love pigs though. <laughs> so it, it wasn't until like the Spaniards like being there for a couple years that they started to actually use potatoes as food. They were feeding them to the pigs. They were feeding them to livestock, but they weren't feeding them to the other Spanish people um, until they started doing like having really extensive mining operations in this part of the world because they found that all of these one potatoes in general are really nutrient rich. And then also mm. the process by which they were preparing them in this part of the world too, like I said, was creating really long shelf life. So they're like, oh, this is like almost like a superfood. Like it was like the acai berries or whatever acai acai of like acai. the 1500s like it was like all nice. of a sudden people are like this Potatoes. is it you know this is where it's at hmm. it's the superfood of the moment 
Yes. <laughs> so the Spaniards brought them back to Spain about 1570. And then they made their way also to the British Isles in the 1580s. And then eventually to France. It takes a whole nother century for them to get to France. Because as we learned with vodka, the French turn their noses up at a lot of things. So they were like, no, we don't want potatoes Man, at first. they are French. It's yeah. like part of their identity. It is part of their Being identity. Being too ho- hoity-toity for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the time the 1700s came around, it was like potatoes were all the rage in all of Europe. It wasn't just like an isolated thing in Spain or with Spanish um, like conquistadors and explorers and colonizers. Right. So there are three advantages to potatoes. One, like I said, is it lasted a lot longer than some of the other crops. The low spoilage could be shipped, um, could be transported across the continent very easily without you losing a lot of the food stuff. You'd also grow them in bulk. And then they were really cheap to produce too. So at this point, there were some other root vegetables like turnips that were like really popular for farmers to grow. But say you're like a tenant farmer and you want to grow a crop, turnips didn't make a lot of money. They um, were kind of like labor intensive to grow. So like maybe you wouldn't do turnips. Say you wanted to grow wheat. You would need to have a mill in order to like turn a profit with wheat, you would need to invest in a lot more equipment and machinery. an argument for why potatoes are more versatile. Yes. Yes. So. Which is, Kate. Yeah. I got to you. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the potato eventually becomes like really intertwined with this idea of class during this time. So of when course, it's always. Yeah. Always. So when it's first introduced, like I said, the Spanish used it for miners. So like for people who were doing lots of like intense physical labor and they didn't see potatoes. There, I was like, for little kids? <laughs> oh, minor. No, that, not that kind of minor. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, boy. I would have loved it when I was a kid if I just got fed potatoes. I would have been living the life. Yes. <laughs> And then the English used it f- to feed their working class. So like people um, who were starting to move into more urban areas and industrial areas or tent farmers, but it was like largely seen as like working class or working poor food. Um, seafarers started to, to use it. So like sailors and seafarers, because again, long shelf life. And then there's this like growing desire between among botanists and religious leaders and agricultural experts too to use it for medicinal purposes so like the pope got sent potatoes um and then he like gave them to a cardinal who like wasn't feeling well and like they were got you know chopped up and boiled and served to him so it was like helping him feel better oh, yeah, yeah yeah so like they're they're seen as like almost like i said like a superfood like gives you a lot of energy a lot of nutrients easy That's to grow hilarious to me yeah. But there's still like most people like like the wealthy would not eat them except for medicinal purposes. Well, yeah. And the wealthy only ate shit that was bad for them because like having the like the ability to be able to eat shit that was bad for you was just mm-hmm. being rich. So like right. you eat all the fatty foods, all the sugary baked foods and just get fat and like. Yeah, yeah. high cholesterol <laughs> and bad hearts and whatever, yes. but they're rich. So, you know, it's fine. Life. <laughs> so even in like Italy, they were like potatoes were mainly used to feed livestock when potatoes were brought to Italy. Like it took a really long time for them to gain momentum. Mm-hmm. And like I said, a lot of people are using it for medicinal purposes and for laborers and Spaniards eventually used it to feed their armies too. And then like by the time 
like the French finally were like, okay, we'll give potatoes a try in the late 1670s, 1680s. Like a French agricultural book has this quote in it. It says, the poor should be quite content with this food stuff. So like it was a hundred percent in the realm of like poor people food. Hmm. Um, so this spreads all over the world so like potatoes are imported to africa in the 1670s and asia by the 1700s and then they make their way to north america in 1715 and the first potato crop which is grown in 1719 was grown in londonderry new hampshire what yes i i feel like there's like a plaque for it there, there probably is, there should be probably <laughs> yeah i think there's a plaque for it you should go on a food odyssey of our great state when Ma- this is all done I max mean, apples and potatoes yes 100 yes. <laughs> percent. yes when we're all vaccinated yep yeah we're gonna go on so many road trips when so we're all many. vaccinated yes. because yeah. i can't like it's gonna feel like sidebar it's gonna feel like we're <laughs> literally compressing a year and a half of our lives into a super short period of time because it's yeah, like yeah. we didn't get to do all this stuff. We had all right. these ideas and we couldn't do any of it because of the yeah. stupid fucking pandemic and people wouldn't stay fucking home and wouldn't fucking wear masks and you got yep. Texas. What <laughs> deep breaths? <laughs> deep breaths. All that stuff. We're gonna go on road trips. Oh my god, it'll be so yep. much fun. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited as well. Yes. We will find where the first potatoes were grown. Oh my I mean, gosh. that's not even that far away. So, well, yeah. not far for Amy, but it's not far for Kate and I. That's fine. But anyway, so yeah, there was an cool. influx of Irish settlers to New Hampshire and they brought potatoes with them. And the first uh, commercial potato crop was, like I said, planted in Londonary, New Hampshire in 1719. Thomas Jefferson dubbed the specific type of potato grown in North American the, quote, Irish potato. Um, it's also known as the lumper potato. <laughs> the lumper? Oh, she's a real lumper. <laughs> it's so great. Yikes. And then... The potatoes just kept moving west, like with mostly with Irish immigrants, but they make it to Idaho in the 1830s, which like if you're thinking about potato production in the United States, like Idaho is the place. Yeah. I mean, rest it's Idaho potatoes, right? Yeah. Like the go to. Exactly. And by 1900, so just in like 70 short years, um, Idaho's potato production exceeded one million bushels per year. Sidebar. <laughs> I don't know if you said this and I just missed it, but did you know that? The white potato is the official state vegetable for New Hampshire. I did not know that. Designated in 2013, baby. Awesome. The white wow. potato is our official state vegetable. That's wow. wonderful. The lumper potato. That's the lumper I'm just potato. Trying, yeah, I'm trying to find if that place has a plaque, but sorry. Yes. Continue. Wow. Yes, do find uh, it. Sidebar, sidebar. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend that lives in Idaho. Uh, and when he moved out there, I was just like, you're going to eat all the potatoes. <laughs> and uh, and he has eaten a lot of potatoes since he's been out there. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild how like regionally different we are as a country when it yeah. comes to like what's quote unquote normal for food consumption. Like it, it blows my mind. And I've only lived in a few places across this great, big, beautiful nation. But like like potato consumption in Minnesota far exceeds potato consumption in New Hampshire, I feel well, like. Well, which is funny because I think the other place that I think of when I think of potatoes is Maine. I think Maine is supposed to be like pretty well known hmm. for potatoes. I too. don't think about anywhere for potatoes except for Idaho. Hmm. Like yeah, even I though think... I know that that's not 
like, I know that's not true, but like, I don't have any sort of connection to any other place. Yeah. Well, now I know that uh, New Hampshire's state vegetable is a potato. The white It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Great. Lumper. So this also reshaped too, like our architecture. Um, So like farms and homesteads started having potato cellars um, because of the the time spent growing root vegetables that they Mm -hmm. wanted like a place to to store and preserve them. Um, and then all across the world, too, p- potatoes became like really intertwined with uh, political movements. So as I mentioned, you know, potatoes were introduced in France by the 1670s. And there it was really a food associated with the working poor um, because the high nutritional value, the low cost of um, growing the crop, um, how long it lasted. Right. Um, so we often hear of Marie Antoinette um, saying, let them eat cake. But she also was totally like, let them eat potatoes. Um, she was very excited about I mean, potatoes. Cake and potatoes. Being, like I can't, you can't go wrong there, right? Yes. Um, she was very excited about uh, potatoes being made available to the French poor um, because of their high nutritional value. And she was so excited that she wore a crown made of potato flowers to a very fancy ball. What does a potato flower look like? It's, I think it's just a little white flower. It's yeah, not- guys, also, sorry. I've been trying to look for this plaque. And I just came across this. <laughs> Nutfield this rambles? Nutfield rambles. And for whatever reason, I'm fucking dying. Londonderry hometown <laughs> online news. Uh, That's great. That's great. <laughs> Wait, um, so what does a potato flower look like? Yeah, look it up. I think it's a little white flower. Um, so like I said, it's it became like a symbol of the working poor. And what what's really interesting at this point is because all of a sudden the poor had access to this like widely grown crop. Two things happened. One is that the crop like exploded. So like a lot more people started growing potatoes to meet the demand. And then a lot more people started consuming potatoes because of their high nutritional value. Like I said, it was like easier to and more cost effective to produce. So it created this like system that kind of like hobbled along the, the working class, the poor working class, like a little bit longer, like it gave them food and nutrients that would not have otherwise been available to them hmm. um, and sustained them all the way to the French revolution. Mm. Um, in Russia, um, potatoes were originally grown in like small household gardens. And then the government started urging farmers to dedicate entire crops to them because, again, the high nutritional value, low cost of production. So by the 1830s, peasants were growing them in ample supply. And um, you also didn't need a lot of land to grow them, too. So like people were growing them still in their backyards. Like you didn't have to be a land owner to grow them. So there were a great introductory crop crop for um tenant farmers and farmers who, you know, maybe only had a few acres of land as opposed to, you know, like acres and acres and acres where they could have different kinds of crops and livestock and things. So it was like a good entry level um, crop for people to get into. And then landlords even encouraged um, their tenant farmers to to invest in potato crops because they knew that they would last longer. So it was less likely for the food to spoil before it made it to market. So it was protecting their best interests um, as well as the farmer's investments too. Huh. And then in England, this like potatoes fed the workers of the Industrial Revolution. 
again, potatoes could be grown in like small backyards. Um, so you have all these people moving from the countryside to a more urban area, working in factories. They don't have access to the same food supplies that they did in their more rural settings. So they're growing small potato crops in these backyard plots because they're high nutritional value. They're easy. They don't take up a lot of space. And then in Germany, a famous Marxist, uh, Frederick Engels, once said that the potato was equal of iron for its, quote, historically revolutionary war. He saw it as like the food of the people, like it was the fuel for the working class. It was the sustenance for the working class and would enable people to social climb, would enable people to like have, um, you know, more means of production, have ownership of production over their own food sources. And then Ireland, the same exact thinking occurs too, right? So in 1800, Ireland had become a colony of Great Britain and they start to import foods and crops from Great Britain and then also different thinking too. So like I said, like in London, potatoes are really popular because it was fueling the Industrial Revolution. So um, in Ireland, they're looking at all of these tenant farmers who didn't have enough money to buy their own land, so they're renting land from landlords. They start to um, you know, grow potatoes as well. And at this point in time in history, a single acre of potatoes in the milk of a single cow was enough to feed a whole Irish family for an entire year. And that would give them all the nutrition that they would need. It was like horribly boring, but like they could survive and not mm. be malnourished with a, an acre of potatoes and a cow, a milking cow. Yeah. Like, so it was enough to sustain them. And like I said, that this is the lumper potato that is grown in Ireland. Luck me no, a lumper. Yes. The issue with the lumper potato. <laughs> that's great. The issue with the I lumper potato. I mean, I potato, stole it from Kate. So. But it fits. This that's is the good. problem we had a couple episodes ago where we wanted to keep using the same episode title, the same phrase. Well, we it's never like, used that because I'm become, terrible. Oh, well then it's this episode title. Perfect. <laughs> um... This potato, though, be, especially on the island of Ireland, didn't have a lot of genetic diversity. So and elsewhere, there's like all these different types of potatoes. And what would happen is if like you're growing a lumper potato and then your neighbor's growing a different kind of potato, sometimes, you know, that just you being in close proximity that like it would add more diversity to the like genetics of the potato crop. Right. So because only one kind of potato was imported to Ireland, they became very isolated. There's no diversity in the crop's genetic makeup. And it left that type of potato really vulnerable to disease. It's like bananas. Like a I mean, famine. Bananas are, bananas are actual clones of each other. But that's right. why like one thing can just wipe out all the bananas. Yes. So this specific potato disease that was responsible for the potato famine, which is called Herb One, it actually started in North America. Herb. I know. It started in North America. Oh, and then really? It, yes. And then it spread through imported goods to Europe and then eventually to Ireland. The issue is that in North America and Europe, there were other potato crops and more genetic diversity. So they fared much better. It did affect them. But like it didn't completely wipe out every potato ever. Mm. Where in Ireland, it was just the lumper potato. So all of their plants turned black, wilted and died. Oh and they gosh. had spent the last several decades building their entire economy, their livelihoods and their means of feeding their families around this no one thought to crop. diversify. Was that just not or was it not possible because of funds and access? So, 
nobody realized at that time that like diversifying like the types of potato would help. Like they mm -hmm. didn't know. Um, so that's one of the things. The other thing is that you have mostly tenant farmers in Ireland at this time. There's huge wealth disparity. So the landlords are like, yes, grow potatoes. That's a smart investment. That guarantees that you'll be able to pay me at the end of the month. <laughs> and then uh, farmers are like, oh, this is a way I can make sure my kids don't go hungry. And I don't have to build a mill to ground flour and wheat. And I don't have to do this or that. Like, it's just, I plant yeah. the potatoes. I harvest the potatoes. I eat the potatoes. Life is good. Like... <laughs> So there's there's like you have the people at the top of the economic ladder who are urging this and compelling the tenant farmers to do it. And then you have the tenant farmers too making the best possible decision within their realm of decision making who are growing the potatoes too. So what ends up happening, as we know, is that the potato crops are blighted. They they turn black, the plants wilt, they die almost um, immediately. Oh, God. Sorry. You're fine. <laughs> um, so this happens in like the 1840s. And there's a couple explanations that the very smart people of the mid 1800s come up with. Oh, was it Jesus? Was it the baby Jesus? That's part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ireland, baby. Yes. You're either Catholic or Protestant. There's no in between. It was probably them. Yeah. So... A lot. And in, in, remember, England has just recently colonized Ireland. Like it's 40 years fresh, this this little relationship between these two countries. Um, most of the people in power in England, most of the people in English Parliament do not give a rat's ass about Irish people. They do not. I mean, it's an either. island, whatever. Yeah, what? it's good. It's good. We can tap it if we need soldiers. Right. But otherwise. Meh. Right. Yeah. Maybe we'll vacation there. We'll go over, we'll do that like whole pre-Noctor thing and whatever. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So they have this, um, part of the, part of the problem is that the, um, politicians and the parliamentary people think that there's like, okay, the poor have been building their whole lives around this crop. This is a wonderful opportunity for them to adapt and change and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Oh. And innovate their way out of this fucking famine. Oh. <laughs> so that's one camp of those empowering. Pull yourselves up by the bootstraps you don't have. Yep. The <laughs> other camp, the other camp in England is that um, this is God's will. Yeah. That's because right. God wants all the Irish uh -huh. people to die. Yeah. yeah you know, they're the all drunks. Yep. You know, the um, fighting Irish. It's proven. Yeah. And at this time, like Calvinism's all the rage. And part of the charms of Calvinism is that they equate wealth with God's favor. So it's not that Weird like how that happens. I know. So like whether you acquired wealth through hard work and dedication or you acquired wealth through your granddaddy, um, both were signs of God's favor. Sure. So obviously. God's going to kill off the poors because they already don't have God's favor. They're poor. If God liked them, they'd have money. Like that's. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know what Melissa just said. If God liked them, they'd have money. That's it. God hates us. Yes. Uh, if God liked us, this podcast would be more successful. Yep. Yeah, that's how that works. Um, so I'm one a of good the Irish woman, what do I got to do? <laughs> Believe in God? That mm, seems like a bit that much. would be a good yeah. start. 
Yeah. So one of the great thinkers of this theory was Sir Charles Trevelyan, and he worked at the Treasury. So thinkers is in quotations, right? Like thinkers, think, like air quotes. Yes, thinkers. air quotes. Yes. Okay. And he saw the famine as an act of the divine. And he said, the judgment of God sent the calamity to teach the Irish a lesson. I mean, that's that a calamity. Mean, I'm sorry. I'm just, this is like throwing me for a whole thing. <laughs> Evangelicals in the United States. Yes. yes. Whenever a, nat- a natural disaster happens, this is because of abortion. Yep. This is because the gay gays. The gays. <laughs> Always the gays. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, God. Trivalent said that the calamity must not be too much mitigated. Because that would have been counter to God's will, so we can't we can't help the Irish. That 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 would say we don't believe in God. Holy, I hate religion so much. Jesus. <laughs> so Trevelant, um, he right. decided that the best course of action was to close soup kitchens. Yep, sure. And an act them faster. <laughs> an act forced labor, labor and menial jobs. Um, for debtors to pay off their debts. So he created uh, chain gangs to build roads throughout Ireland to, quote unquote, modernize the wilderness. Sure. sure. Um, and a bunch of people died, like women, children, like they were like out there, like with pickaxes, like breaking up rocks. Starving. Fucking. Like starving and doing starving. manual labor. Yes. yes. Um, and, you know, just for the cherry the cherry on top the landlords oh, in ireland were like uh, they're not paying us we got to evict them so they evicted 500,000 moratorium yes <laughs> they evicted 500,000 irish families from their tenant farms and instead rented to other people who um you know had a couple milking cows or had other crops that that would be fine um, so that they knew that they were they were going to make some money instead of just letting these freeloaders mooch off of their land. It's a job being a landlord. I don't know yeah, if you know it's that. A it's hard work. hard work. I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. It's hard work. Yeah. As I was doing the research, I was like, this feels so, so like important yeah. to today. Yeah. No, it, there's so <laughs> many parallels and it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. How have mm-hmm. we not learned? We, we haven't. We never Why will. are we not better? <laughs> so then like eventually, like when those 500,000 Irish families were um, evicted and then like the deaths were growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Finally, British Parliament was like, ooh this doesn't look good but you know what we have a bunch of like laws we've been wanting to pass about taxation because we really want to have a free market approach to our country why don't we use the potato famine as an excuse to just open up the markets the markets will solve the problem Mm. if we remove the taxes then they'll have more money to buy food imported goods right that'll be fun it doesn't matter they've been starving for a whole season already it doesn't matter. We're going into the second year of this. It's been 365 days of bullshit already. Let's take a free market. 65 days of bullshit. <laughs> free market approach to solving this. So they removed all of the taxes and levies on imported foods, um, which actually ended up fucking over a, all of the existing Irish farmers. Imports, though they removed the taxes from imports. So that's yes. money from other. Yeah, that doesn't Other help. Countries, it doesn't help. It just it put it disadvantaged the Irish farmers that were surviving. Um, and then uh, and then that didn't work. So um, <laughs> over a million Irish died 
and over a million Irish fled to North America. I was going to say, isn't this the main reason why the Northeast has such a concentration of Irish? Like, yes, because it's yep. the potato famine. They just all came here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, lessons learned. The None. free market does zero. Not zero shit. lessons. You learned. know, we got to look at silver linings. <laughs> Every year in Boston on St. Patty's Day, we get we get green beer. Mm. Uh, that yeah, that happened without the potato famine and millions right. of people dying. We have mm. green beer now in Chicago. That's, they turn a whole river green. A whole we, river. I'm sure that's great so for the river. Much green. <laughs> I'm sure that's wonderful that's for Chicago, the Chicago right? environment. Am I making that up. That sounds right. That okay. sounds right. We're, I'm going to believe that's right until someone corrects it's me. It's great because now with cy- uh, cyanobacteria, uh, most of the rivers and lakes are turning green in North America so all all summer long. We can't, we can't get into <laughs> murdering algae now. Yeah. So Florida's got the red kind. I mean, we could. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's that's how potatoes completely fucking reshaped the world that's that's love all them. Got gotta tonight. love potatoes yes delicious n- apparently nutritious even yes. though every nutrition plan ever doesn't allow you to eat potatoes they're too mm. nutritious that's what it is maybe potatoes mm. like i said were just like the fad diet item the superfood from like the 17 to 18 i mean it really sounds like it like they didn't know that it wasn't like it's like oh it's so nutritious it's no it's like no it just barely kept you alive yeah like billy bob thornton took that approach when he was a starving actor in hollywood and he only potatoes for a month and then he went to the er so like really yes i didn't know that (laughs) yes i mean he's a weirdo so it cracks he is a weirdo and i don't know like he's that's what he says that's what he says i don't want to disbelieve a man but i don't know yeah so potatoes kate do you get a recipe for us tonight oh right we have a whole other section of the show <laughs> what time where are we what's happening mm. i've had <laughs> half a bottle of wine mm-hmm. and a vodka martini <laughs> and i'm feeling great to crave whatever kate is talking about all right well i have two choices here ladies you guys get to pick okay um i hope you're keeping track of these because we have to make all of these at some point <laughs> all right well choose wisely then um so your choices are from the oh so for those of you who are playing at home kids we uh every every episode we we talk about um a recipe from this cool old box of recipes that i've got here you've got to say what it is so this is betty crocker's box thank you and um (laughs) it's a it's a recipe uh library from like the 70s and it is a plethora of wonderful good good stuff it is the gift meals that will please the whole family it is Mm. the gift that keeps on giving it truly truly is okay so your choices ladies this week are uh from the category outdoor entertaining there's hearty potatoes or from the category convenient oven meals there is hot potato nuggets i know i know i mean with the pandemic and all, I feel like mm. we got to know what party potatoes are Ooh, because okay. that's not something yeah. we've been able to experience for okay. a the party year. Or the potato. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've had a lot of potatoes to be yeah, fair. That's true, that's but true. they weren't party potatoes. Right. No. Okay. All right. Well, this is the 
picture for the party potatoes right here. <laughs> trying to find right here. This is a camera. I love it. Um, nice. Okay. So these choices. So we've got a couple of things on the back here. It specifically says zesty potatoes. Mm -hmm. um, so and then there's also lemon tart potatoes. So mm -hmm. there are um, the 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 um, ingredients in here are pretty, pretty simple. We've <laughs> we've got so you need some large potatoes, uh, mm -hmm. but we're going to pair them and cube them. Um, some butter or margarine, lemon juice, lemon peel, nutmeg, pepper, and green onion. Weird. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It actually sounds very interesting to me. I don't know about the nutmeg. I've been very sensitive to nutmeg lately. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. I don't know. Um, Greg made like a from scratch Alfredo and it called yeah. for nutmeg. And normally yeah. he, he thinks nutmeg's overpowering so often he'll leave it out. And he put in the recommended amount and I'm eating it and I'm like, there's something wrong with this. Like, yeah. And oh. as I'm eating it, I'm like, it's nutmeg. Yeah. Like the nutmeg was just like, like, yeah. bam, in your face. And it was wow. too much. Hmm. How much uh, was it? Fresh, fresh yes. nutmeg. Okay. Uh, mm. He might've not. I mean, we do have like whole nutmeg. So I assume yeah. he grated it. So maybe that's why. Yeah. Hmm. It was um, I mean, I definitely do nutmeg in all of my, in all of my white sauces mm. and also often in my red sauce. I feel like nutmeg's one of those things I don't cook a lot with. I'm trying to get better about spices because I keep like, obviously as we're doing research, I keep thinking my ancestors committed genocide <laughs> for <laughs> nutmeg. For, for nutmeg and for other variety spices. Of yeah. spices. Yeah. For a variety of spices. And I don't use them. Yeah. Um, that's the plight of the white person, man. Yeah. Like our freaking ancestors fought for all these things and we're just like, eh, well, salt but that's because they used good. to get high with them. That was really the reason. That's true. Nutmeg, mm. yeah. We had that whole thing. It has hallucinogenic effects. Yeah. Well, I also think, but I also think you're right. I think that would be party potatoes. That, yeah. oh, that's what it is. That must be what it is. I don't know. You have to consume a lot of nutmeg. Maybe the nutmeg is code for something. Mm. Other hallucinogenic mm. Again, items. Okay. No. Uh, okay. Also, also, <laughs> also possible. Uh, but I do think that you're right. It's like the the tiniest, tiniest amount. Like this. Yeah. Uh, this calls for for four large potatoes, a quarter of a teaspoon, which is probably even more than I would use. It's like but, a pinch. Yeah, it's just like but, and that's a dash. probably our pre-ground nutmeg and not fresh nutmeg. The, I would say nutmeg this was, is really strong. This is probably pre-ground. Yeah, we're going to talk is... about three hours about how strong <laughs> nutmeg is. So strong. It's so. so if strong. you want to come back later, we'll <laughs> skip ahead. Just like, no, I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, continue. All right. So, um, so we are boiling our, mm -hmm. uh, potatoes and, um, in some salted water and we are draining and then we're going to combine all of the ingredients. We're going to toss them with the potatoes and then, um, we're going to double up two sheets of aluminum foil um spoon all of this stuff onto the aluminum foil wrap and let sit for an hour so like you're kind of letting the hmm. flavors marinate. marinate with the hot boiled potatoes okay um okay. and then 
um, we're going to, after an hour, we're going to throw the whole thing in the wrap on the coals on the grill because this is out oh, okay party, yeah, yeah. Party uh, yeah, yeah. For, party like yeah, outdoor yeah. outdoor entertaining so we're going to grill them for about a half hour we're going to flip over the packet um half an hour or like halfway through so after 15 minutes then we're going to pop them open and eat the shit out of that stuff um <laughs> the other option so that's the lemon tart ones right yeah wait was there no salt in the, the water the bo- the water is salted mm. yeah mm. and it's only two teaspoons so like yeah, a little not- bit more salt but okay yeah yeah um so the other option for the flavor profile is the zesty potatoes mm. um and the only real difference here is um we're diagonally cutting the potatoes into uh slices instead of chunks so i mean that's like slices are zesty i know um (laughs) we're gonna pull like once they're um once they're boiled we're going to put them in a glass dish and pour a half a cup of italian dressing over them (laughs) um no no like how to ruin potatoes no <laughs> i mean no i think they'd still be good but and then, i mean you're definitely not getting any crispy bits no yeah. no there's no crispy bits ha- but i mean it says that there's going Potato to be soup you're gonna take the you're gonna take after the the hot that after the hour of their their yeah, marinating, marinating in the yeah. flavor we're gonna then it just says oh place, we're still grilling yeah place on the okay. grill so i think we're placing in the, the glass the big- dish on the grill because we've cut them up so it's not like we can lay them on lay the them yeah interesting interesting mm-hmm. i do love um cook I mean, who doesn't uh, oh it does nope i think maybe hey, i was gonna say amy's making me a gross face. you don't like italian <laughs> well is that the vinegar is that a vinegar i don't like thing? any i don't like any dressings unless i make it myself i don't it's i don't know why like it might be the vinegar in it i usually don't make vinegar based dressings i was gonna say what do you make but how do you make a dressing without vinegar doesn't every dressing have at least a little bit of vinegar in it lemon juice you use okay so i I, yeah i guess it just has an acid yeah so but yeah i don't i don't like any store but i've never had a store-bought dressing that i'm like so good wow i'm like Wow, shocked by that. But I wonder if it's a vinegar thing because you don't like you don't <laughs> like pickles either, right? So right. I wonder if it's just like a vinegar thing. Yeah, maybe it's, it's a vinegar thing. Like I hate vinegar? salt and vinegar chips. Yeah, I hate vinegar. I used, but to. like I had never thought about it. Like that that was a main ingredient in most salad dressings. Like that makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah, in pickles, 100%. yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I hate vinegar. Hmm. Wow. Said it. You heard it here for first, folks. I've been drinking <laughs> breaking on my, news <laughs> on my health journey. In the morning, I drink a Meta D, which is apple juice, like unsweetened apple juice, water, cinnamon, mm. some cayenne, and apple cider vinegar. Mm. Yeah, there's apple and, cider vinegar gummies. One of my one and of my it's friends delicious. I li- I actually yeah, like it. <laughs> I think it's great. Apple cider vinegar is delish. Uh. But I also like Italian dressing. So how's that do? How's that? How's that for your your mouth? Like, um. Okay. So, well, we think it's sidebar. Sidebar. Yeah, sidebar to Melissa's weird allergy. <laughs> yeah. We think it's specifically citric acid. 
Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, it was really bad after I made that drink that had lime juice in it and then participated in national margarita day, mm. which was a mistake because I had mm. the worst outbreak I've ever had mm. and it was really bad and it kind of ruined my whole let's end school and eat all the delicious things that Kate mm. made for me because Aww. my mouth was in pain. Um, I've been doing the vinegar and I am having some lip, lip action, hmm. <laughs> but it's not like when I have lemon or lime. When I have lemon or lime, it's like immediately I get an ulcer at the back of my throat or under my tongue. Or this is just like a little irritation on my lips. Uh, Do you use a straw? Probably. Do you think that would change it? Do we think it that might? Would but you know, we don't need to dig into it anymore. Okay. Um, anyway, let's continue on to that recipe. <laughs> so that's it. That's the whole recipe, <laughs> okay. kids. That's it. It's just so you put um, it on the grill and you yeah, just... you grill the shit out of these things, and then in I the glass think, dish. No, I think I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. Okay. I think I, I think I scan too fast. I think we are not cutting the potatoes up. That's into why chunks they're in much. like yeah. Like, I think we're ch- like diagonally. Into big, slices. big slices. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then okay. we're going to put those on the grill just as they are once they've been marinated. Mm. And then you're going to turn them. Like those would be really good. Yeah. Turn them. Yeah. When, like they're golden on one side. You're going to turn them over and make them golden on the other side. So they're crisp it up. That sounds um, delicious. Yeah. That I'm here for. Mm-hmm. This so, might be the first like recipe that you've read from that box that I'm like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so. Other yeah. than other than the Nestle Road pie, which I mean, still... I love Nestle Roads, but I yeah. don't know that I'm into the pie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think this one doesn't seem so bad. And um, yeah, not not so bad. I will will I'll save the uh, hot potato nuggets for another day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot of episodes to go. So time to get through everything in Betty Crocker's box. It's a big box. It is a big box. There, it's a full box. It is. In addition to doing a for a food odyssey, like road trip thing, we also, I feel like, should plan like a Washington Carver Jr. style whatever like sure, yeah. seven course meal with one staple ingredient like he did with peanuts okay we could do it with potatoes or whatever okay. we could definitely do it with potatoes yeah I'll lots of big yes plans to anything right now lots of big plans <laughs> we've been in a pandemic for a year yes whatever it takes <laughs> yeah, I whatever will do, that. do that get matching tattoos yes yes <laughs> get yes. a hysterectomy yes yes <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a jump. All right, <laughs> matching hysterectomies. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh Lord. So, well, anywho, thank you, Kate. That's that's it. That <laughs> was great. That was wonderful. Right. That was amazing. This is like the longest episode ever. Oh my gosh. I am very drunk. Potatoes are delicious. Mm-hmm. They are apparently a superfood and no one can tell me otherwise now. Yep. Nutrition plan can suck it. Yep. He and his Forget keto diet. Potato yeah. diet. Hey, I made mashed potatoes tonight and I only put half a stick of butter in instead of a whole stick. I'm proud That's of you. That's a win. That is yeah. a win. And only like one scoop of sour cream instead of many. The whole <laughs> The, the whole, whole thing. thing. Now I want to go make French fries. Mm. French fries. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, and hopefully we'll catch you next time. So bye. 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 <laughs>
Jesus. All right. There's no way to do it. Thank you for listening to Drunk Dish. For recipes and more, please visit drunkdish.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Apple Music. You can also follow us on Twitter at Drunk Dish Pod and Instagram at Drunk Dish. And again, thanks for listening.